Chapter 11 of the Chaucer Storybook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Chaucer Storybook by Ava March Tappan. Chapter 11. The Franklin's Tale. In faith, young squire, said the Franklin heartily, you've done well. According to my judgment, there is not one here who is your equal in eloquence. Come, Mr. Franklin, the host broke in. You know that each of you must tell at least one or two tales or break his word. That know I, sir, responded the Franklin. But I beg you, do not hold me faithless if I speak a word or two to this man. But first tell us your tale, cried Harry Bailey. I will obey your will, replied the Franklin courteously. Here is my story. If I can only tell it in such wise as to please you, then I shall know that it is well done. The Promise of Dorigen There was once in the land of Brittany a knight named Arviragus, who was doing his best to win the love of a noble lady, the fairest under the sun. He carried on many a bold enterprise and undertook many a perilous adventure, all for her sake, that she might perchance look with the more favor upon his suit. She came of such high lineage that he hardly dared to tell her of his devotion. But when he did confess it, he found that he had already won his bride, for he was so sincere and humble and in every way worthy that she could not help loving him and she promised to take him for her husband and her lord. He too made a promise, and vowed to her most solemnly that, come what would, he would never force her obedience against her wish, nor would he show jealousy of her, but would obey her and follow her will in everything, as a true lover should ever do to his lady. And I give you here my troth, said Dorigen, for that was her name, that until my last day I will be your faithful, humble wife. The couple dwelt in happiness for a year and more, then they were separated, for the knight went to England for a year or two to seek for glory in arms. Dorigen could hardly endure his absence. She wept and she sighed, she moaned and wailed, and so longed for Arviragus that the whole wide world seemed nothing to her without him. Her castle stood near the sea, and she used often to go to the edge of the cliff and watch the ships and barges. But this gave her small comfort, for she said to herself, Alas, there are so many ships sailing freely wherever they will, and not one of them brings my dear lord home to me. If he would only come, my heart would be eased of this bitter pain. Sometimes she would not watch the ships, but would only sit on the cliff and muse and think of her husband. Then, if it happened that her glance fell upon the black, jagged rocks below her, she would tremble so that she could not stand upon her feet for she would fancy that each one was threatening to destroy the vessel that was to bring him home, when the happy day of his return should arrive. Her friends tried in every way they knew to comfort her. They often visited her, they told her that Arviragus would surely return, that she was destroying herself for nothing, and then they would beg her to come out with them. At first they walked by the ocean, but they soon saw that the sight of the water dashing against the black ledges only made her the more wretched. I wish to God that all those fearful black rocks were sunk into hell for the sweet sake of my lord. They make my very heart quake with fear, she exclaimed. The friends did not ask her again to walk with them by the shore. Instead of that, they persuaded her to go by springs and along the river bank and to other beautiful places. They prevailed upon her to play at chess and at tables and to dance. One bright morning in May, they induced her to go with them to a beautiful garden, where they meant to spend the entire day. This garden was a charming place. The gentle showers of May had filled it full of leaves and blossoms, and the hand of man had given it such wise and skillful care that, save it may be for paradise, there was never so lovely a place. The sweetness of the flowers and the sight of the freshness and beauty would make the heart of any one light, unless it was burdened with so deep woe that nothing could give it cheer. 
these friends of dorigen had brought dainty viands with them that they might remain the whole of the day and after they had dined they began to sing and dance on the soft green turf even the sight of dancing made dorigen grieve because her husband was not among the merry revellers nevertheless she would not be so rude as to break away from her kind friends so she waited sad and lonely in her heart as she sat gazing listlessly at the dancers there was a certain young squire who was gazing at her but by no means listlessly he was fresher and more gaily clad than the month of may itself he sang more sweetly and he danced more gracefully than anyone else and he certainly was one of the handsomest young men in the world he was young and strong and rich highly esteemed and a favorite wherever he went and to make a long story short for two years this young squire aurelius had loved dorigen better than all the world beside He'd never dared to tell her his love, but he composed many songs, rounds, and virelays about the agonies of one who adores and is not loved in return. In his songs, he said that, like Echo, who died for the love of Narcissus, so he should die for her who is so dear to him, and she would never know why he had come to an early death. Writing these songs was his greatest pleasure, but Dorigen never guessed that he was writing them of her, and when in the dances of the young folk he had gazed piteously into her face like one beseeching some great favor she had not understood that he was silently begging her to receive his devotion as they had long been acquaintances it was natural that they should meet and talk together for a while madam said he if it would please you i could find it in my heart to wish that on the day when your arviragus crosses the sea i too had gone somewhere never to return for I know well that my devotion to you will have for its reward only the breaking of my heart. Pity me, madam. Pity me, for I am so unhappy that I would lay in a grave at your feet. Have mercy upon me, or you will be my death, for to think that you will never be mine is more than I can bear. Dorigen started and looked him full in the face. I call my God to witness, she said gravely, that Arviragus is my true and beloved husband, and never shall I leave him for any other. And she added solemnly, Go, and gaze upon those black and jagged rocks that have sent so many a good ship to her destruction, and that threaten the safety of my dear husband, and know that when every one of those rocks has vanished, I will leave my Arviragus for you, and never before. Thrust this folly from your heart. What pleasure can it be to a man to love another man's wife? Then appeared Dorigen's friends, who had been roaming about in the garden and had no idea what had been going on between her and Aurelius. The dancing and gaiety lasted till the bright sun had gone below the horizon. Then they all went home merrily, save Aurelius. When he had reached his home, he dropped upon his knees, and in the agony of his heart he called upon Phoebus Apollo to come to his aid and work a miracle for him that he might so win his lady. Gracious Apollo, god of the sun he prayed help me i beg you grant that you will beseech your radiant sister lucina goddess of the moon that she will bring so high a tide that it will flow over the loftiest rock on the coast of Brittany. beg her i entreat you to go no faster than you in her course then shall she be ever at the full and there shall be high tide both night and day if she refuses this prayer i beseech you to sink the rocks down into the realm of darkness where lord pluto dwells pity my pain lord phoebus help me and i will make barefoot pilgrimage to your temple at delphos time passed and arviragus came home with wealth and honors and joyfully betook himself to his dorigen no words can express her gladness at having again her dearly beloved husband and as for him he felt more and more happy every day in the love of so devoted a wife as for aurelius lord phoebus had not answered his prayer 
and he lay in suffering and longing for Dorigen all this while. No one knew of his pain except his brother. This brother wept and grieved with him and lay awake night after night, trying to think of some way to help the luckless lover to win the lady. Suddenly the thought of an old book that he had seen at Orléans in France when a student came into his mind. It was a book of magic, and it told of marvelous deeds that had been done, or that appeared to those looking on to have been done. His heart danced for joy, for he said to himself, I do believe that there is a way for my brother to be cured. I've often heard that jugglers, coming into a hall of feasting, could make the feasters think that they saw within the hall a lake, and in the lake a barge floating up and down, or that they beheld a savage lion springing in at the door, or flowers growing up as if in a meadow, or a vine producing red and white grapes, or even a castle built out of solid lime and stone. He told all this to his brother, and then he said, Now if I can find at Orléans some one of my old companions who knows magic, surely he can help us. It cannot be so very difficult to make it appear for a day or two as if there were no rocks on the coast of Brittany, and as if ships were sailing up to the very shore. Aurelius felt as hopeful as his brother. He started up from his bed, and the two set off for Orléans. When they were but two or three furlongs from the city, they met a young scholar walking alone who greeted them in Latin. Then he said, I know why you have come to Orléans. And he went on to tell them the whole story of Aurelius's sufferings, and their hope that in Orléans they might find help. It was plain that he was a magician, and when he invited them to his house, they went with him most gladly. At the magician's home, there was much to see. Their host showed them parks full of wild deer, larger than any that the brothers had ever seen before. Then he let them watch a deer hunt, and with their own eyes they saw deer wounded and a hundred slain. Then they saw a beautiful winding river, whereon there were falconers with their hawks taking heron. And after this they saw a tournament, knights jousting on a plain. After the tournament came a dance, and, behold, one of the dancers was Dorigen. Aurelius was more than an onlooker here, for he, too, seemed to be joining the revelry. Oh, it was a marvelously delightful entertainment, but suddenly the magician clapped his hands. All the wonderful sights vanished. There, in the quiet library, sat the host and his two guests, and there they had been from the time they had entered the house. For all these wonderful sights had been brought before them by the power of magic. The master called his squire and said, It is now nearly an hour since I and my two guests came into my library. Is the supper ready? Sir, replied the squire, the table stands waiting, for all things are prepared. Then we will go and sup, said the master. Even these eager lovers have to eat and rest. There was no question that this was a magician of amazing power. After what the brothers had seen, they did not doubt that he could do so small a thing as conceal a few rocks from view for a while, and so, when their supper had been eaten, they fell to business. There was no need of explanations or long stories to a man so wise that he knew them all beforehand, so they asked him directly what Guerdon he would demand for removing every rock on the coast of Brittany, from the Gironde to the mouth of the Seine. "'That is not so easy a task,' the magician declared. "'It is quite a different matter from sitting quietly in a library and showing you a few deer and a little jousting. I would not attempt it for any trifling reward.' I could not think of undertaking it for less than a thousand pounds, and, verily, I am not eager to do it at any price. A thousand pounds? Aurelius cried joyfully. That is nothing! Folks say the world is round, and I would gladly give the whole round world if I were lord of it. I take your offer, master. The bargain is made. You shall have your payment on the instant, but do not delay us here one moment beyond tomorrow morning. I pledge my faith to you, responded the magician. As soon as the morrow had come, they went to Brittany by the nearest way. The master set to work at once with his spells and magic circles and incantations, 
but work fast as ever he could he could not satisfy the relentless aurelius who would one moment bow in reverence to his knowledge and the next moment threaten to run him through with his sword because he worked so slowly at length however the marvel was accomplished not a rock was to be seen aurelius fell down at the master's feet and thanked him and begged his pardon most humbly if in his eagerness he had done aught amiss he went straight to dorigen fell on his knees before her and said madam do you remember that of your great kindness you promised that when every rock on the coast should have disappeared you would leave arviragus and come to me as my wife behold madam not one remains in sight and then he took his leave dorigen stood like a statue her face as white as marble for it had never entered her mind that such a miracle could come to pass she gazed out upon the water where not one rock was visible she gazed shudderingly down the path taken by aurelius and then she went to her own house but not to rest for there she wept and wailed and groaned and swooned she had no comfort in her woe and no one to whom she might venture to tell her trouble for arviragus was from home when her husband returned he asked her why she wept and at this she only wept the more oh that i had never been born she groaned arviragus did his best to soothe and comfort her and at length she told him the sad story how fearful she had been lest the boat which bore her love might come to grief on the sharp pointed rocks and how wearied and indignant at the persistency of aurelius she had declared half in grave anger and half in scorn yes when those black threatening rocks on Brittany's coast have disappeared then i will leave my dear arviragus and come to you her husband comforted her as well as he could for his own heart was breaking when she was somewhat soothed he said quietly but in the deepest sorrow my dorigen truth is the noblest thing in the world i love you so that i would rather lose you and have you true than keep you with a broken promise the strong man burst into a flood of tears but as soon as he could speak he bade her leave him and go to find aurelius and i will bear my woe as best i can he said then dorigen went forth from her husband's house almost mad with grief aurelius in the hope of seeing her had hardly taken his eyes from her door and now he walked by a way where they could not help meeting as soon as he saw her he saluted her with a most eager curtsy but she only moaned alas alas and he entreated her to tell him what her grief might be when the story came to his ears then anxious as he was to win her yet he could not help pitying her and honoring that noble man her husband who loved his wife so dearly and so unselfishly that he would rather lose her than have her break her word then said aurelius madam farewell you are the best and truest wife that i have ever seen in all this land perhaps a squire can do a courtesy as well as a knight so go you back to your dear lord arviragus and say to him that as he would rather have you keep your promise and leave him to suffer so should i rather suffer all my life with longing for you than come between you and your love and so i bid you my farewell she knelt before him and thanked him and then she went home to her sorrowing husband and told him all and from that day their lives passed on in happiness and peace for never was there shadow of disagreement between them and day by day they loved each other more dearly there is but one more word to say and that concerns the thousand pounds alas groaned aurelius that i have promised a thousand pounds of gold to this magician what shall i do i could pay him a portion every year and thank him for his great courtesy if he will permit but if i have to pay him all at once i must sell my lands and live a beggar there's no other way whatever comes i will not lie I will keep my promised word with a sad heart he went to his treasury and took out five hundred pounds then he went to the magician and said master i've never yet broken my word and my debt to you shall be paid if i have to go forth from my home as a beggar 
but if I give you surety, would you grant me a delay of two or three years? If not, I must sell my lands. The magician demanded sternly, did I not keep my agreement with you? Surely you did, and to the letter, the squire replied. Did you not win your lady? the magician asked. Oh, no, said the squire, and sighed sorrowfully. How is that? I pray you tell me if you can. Aurelius told the whole story, and ended with the words, Arviragus would rather die in sorrow than that his wife should be false to her word, so he bade her come to me. Dorigen had never heard of magical appearances when she gave her promise, and she sorrowed so sadly that I sent her back to him. That is all, and there is no more to the story. The magician answered, Dear brother, he is a knight, and you are a squire, but you are equally noble. Now surely a clerk can do as honest a deed as any of you, and therefore, sir, I release you from the thousand pounds as freely as if I had never seen you. You paid well for my food and lodging, and not a penny will I take for either skill or work. It is enough. Farewell, and good day. Now, of these three generous men, which one was the most generous? End of chapter 11